Hello and welcome to another podcast of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky, here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, I wanted to continue a point that we made in our last podcast about turning the faith from being, essentially as you put it, just serving the needs of the congregation to going out and becoming a mission of evangelization. Evangelization. Sorry for saying that wrong. So whenever I go out and I create a new endeavor, it has to start with what's the goal of what are we accomplishing and then how do we do it? So in preparation for today's episode, my thought process was, why don't we go through that exercise? Why don't we articulate the mission of the church, essentially? What is it? that we're trying to accomplish here. And then, you know, and then we'll dive into detail upon the particular points as we go on. Because before we start worrying about how we're going to do something, we need to first discover what we are and what the principle that we're trying to convey truly is. So I wanted to take this moment to continue upon the conversation we're having, what led us into the situation of diocese shrinking. Okay, that's where we're at. Now let's talk about how we can get to the next steps, starting with essentially what is the core mission statement that we're trying to live by and and trying to teach to others. It's a great question, Joe. And this is one of the reasons that I'm so glad uh, you're you're engaged in the church because – these are the kinds of things that we also need. I, I even love the way that you kind of ramped up to it and said, hey, when I'm going to start out on a new project as a businessman, these are the kinds of questions I ask and these are the kinds of things that I do. How does this apply to the church? Well, thank God. I mean, that's exactly what the Second Vatican Council documents and Pope John Paul's apostolic exhortation on the laity. And this is exactly what the, the people of the church ought to be doing. One of the possibly unfortunate things is that the clergy end up being the ones in the position of making all the decisions, but we're not always the ones who are most clued into the best processes and uh, the best approaches, and we need, to, we need questions like this for the sake of the discussion among the whole church. Um, and also, ultimately, I don't have a problem with the clergy perhaps making the decisions, but sometimes we, we can end up doing it without kind of the proper consultation or the proper insights or anyway. So I just love that you asked that question. And I would be the first to say, I don't have all the answers. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. So I want to also encourage our listeners to ask the same question and to pursue those questions in their parishes, in their families, in their own communities. This is the kind of thing that we ought to be asking. What are we doing? What is the church doing? What is the goal? And when we know what we're doing, then we can also look at the methods. Now, I I do have some idea of what we're doing. I mean, it's a matter of spreading the gospel. And we can look back at the example of the scriptures. What was Jesus doing? Ultimately, he had a message of salvation. And we could uh, pick one criterion 
we want people to live a full life. Uh, we want people to live without fear. We want people to know the fullness of love. Uh, we want people to be set free. And those are ultimately they the ultimately we want people to know God who has revealed Himself in Jesus Christ. I should just start there, right? That's that's the goal. Okay. The, the goal is very simply said for people to know God who has revealed himself in Jesus Christ. So ultimately to have a relationship with him, to repent and believe the good news is the very simple message of Jesus. The kingdom of God is at hand, which means that Jesus himself is at hand. It means that heaven has been opened for us and has drawn close to us and that this has the power to change our lives for the better, to set us free, to fill us with love to free us from our fear, uh, to free us from the devil's tactics, to uh, bring about a lot of, of good things in our lives. But very simply said, to introduce everybody to God in Jesus Christ. And that's, uh, that's the ultimate goal of evangelization. That's what the apostles were sent out to do. Um, preach the good news to all creatures and baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And uh, you know, ask for an outpouring of that Holy Spirit to change our lives. Anyway, all, all of these things. But but very simply, to to share our faith. And so, yes, maybe I should just stop there rather than further complicating it because it, it, it should have such a simple and clear answer. The interesting thing is the how question. How do we actually bring this about? Yes. Okay. So core mission, better relationship with God. That's like, a like relationship with God, period. Okay. That, there's a good starting point. And, and, and a particular kind of relationship with God, which is that we can have a personal relationship with him in Jesus Christ, that he's not a concept, that he's not an abstract figure, that he's not just way out there that he's not just the God of the philosophers, but he's a God who has come close to us, who has a name and a face and a heart in, in Jesus Christ. He has revealed himself, and he has revealed himself as a human being like us. And so we can have a very personal and intimate relationship with him. That is uh, a saving relationship that really transforms our lives. The words of, of Pope Benedict are worth quoting here. He says, Christianity is not a lofty idea or an ethical decision. It is an encounter with a person, with an event uh, that has the power to give life a new dimension and a broader horizon. And so it really is about having that encounter with a person, leading people to an encounter with God. And, and that's why it's, not, it's also not formulaic. And that's where the how question starts to get really interesting because in one sense, there are as many hows as there are people mm -hmm. because it's every person has a unique relationship with God. It's the same God, but each one of us is made uniquely and has a unique relationship with God. And so there isn't one size fits all in the how question. Um, so... But anyway, that's the simple answer is to lead people into an encounter with God. So one of the, you know, some of the things that it's not is it's not just a matter of like getting people's envelopes into the baskets to pay money to the church. It's not just a matter of, of filling the pews at Sunday mass. It's not just a matter of, 
you know, getting people to man the bingo table. It's not just a matter of uh, sort of, you know, getting filling the places with warm bodies or increasing our attendance counts or something like that. Uh, there's something more fundamental and deeper there. And even were we able to do that, if we got people into our churches, you know, and may, they may not even have an encounter with God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, that encounter with, with God and Jesus Christ is really the key that we're working towards in evangelization. Perfect. So, so you started there, um, and, and we just want to dive in a little bit to the next layer down. You mentioned that there's multiple kinds of relations. So I said deeper relationship. You said, oh, let's just start with a relation. <laughs> so <laughs> let's let's go through there because just doing, obviously it's firsthand, so it's not statistical, but just passive observations, the mass that Teresa and I tend to go to is the later one in the day. It's also the baptism mass. So the baby doesn't wake up at 8 in the morning. The baby comes at 11. Um it's just better for everyone that way. Maybe the priest just likes doing it, so there's more time in between it, so the baptism doesn't have people walking in and out between the masses. Probably logistically the re- the reason. Nonetheless, when you have the baptism, I know that it grasps a whole family in from a whole bunch of areas, but even the parents, sometimes you don't see them a whole, whole lot. You know, you see them every once in a while and for a major event, and the portion of the Bible that you went there said baptize. Okay. That's the starting point that lets you hang out in the same room as God. But where is how, how, well, not the how yet, but why is the importance of going from, okay, you were baptized. Now we need a relationship. That's more than you're in my phone. And maybe I text you every once in a while. So, trying to develop that more and why that's important. Well, the baptism question is, is very interesting and was one that was, um, you know, discussed already in the early church in the time of Jesus. So he sent out the apostles to preach the gospel to all creatures and to baptize them in the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy spirit. And when they were preaching the gospel to people, they were, people were coming to a place of belief and then they baptized, they were baptized. And we recognize two things going on. There's both the objective gift and there's the subjective reception of that gift. So the gift is something in itself from the outside given by baptism. But then there's also this conversion part that people come to believe. And so they actually accept the gift and you know, what happened very quickly was not only the parents who could hear the gospel and receive the good news and give their yes to baptism, but also they baptized their babies Mm. and whole households came into the church. We have witnesses of that already in scripture. That wasn't an invention of, you know, the Catholic church in 300 AD or something, but there were whole families, households that were baptized at the same time. Yeah, you know, the, the household of Cornelius was all baptized at the same time. It's not obvious that all of them had a conversion at the same time. Cornelius had a conversion. Mm-hmm. The household became Christian. But what was the story with the other people? 
you know. So anyway, there's clearly two things going on, and that's uh, the objective gift, baptism, and the subjective reception of that gift, which has to do with belief and conversion. And so we are saved by grace through faith. That was actually the reading this morning, the day that we're recording this. Saved by grace through faith. And that means that God gives his gift, grace. We also have to receive that gift through faith, through belief. And so we want to keep giving the grace. God has entrusted that grace to the church in baptism. We want to keep baptizing those babies. But then we also have to stir faith in people as soon as possible. And with children, it certainly is possible to raise them in the faith. I'll tell you something beautiful that I have seen and know a fair amount about is something called the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. And the one who developed that was close friends with Maria Montessori, who developed the Montessori method of teaching. And so she used this Montessori method for catechesis. And one of her founding principles is that children are baptized. And so they're baptized into a relationship with Christ. And at age three, you have little contemplatives. These little children at age three are going through catechesis, and they're really praying. And they're really talking to Jesus, and they're coming to know him. And in fact, they already have a relationship with him through baptism, but that relationship is being developed in a catechesis that is appropriate to their, their uh, mental development, their emotional development. And so, anyway, uh, I'm answering a lot of questions that you haven't asked yet. Mm -hmm. uh, questions like, maybe we shouldn't baptize babies because we have to wait for people to have conversions and then we'll baptize them. Uh, or, yeah, I mean, is there a value to baptizing babies? Or how early can that conversion take place? Or do you have to, like, live a bad life and then have a conversion as an adult? Or, you know, how does grace work? <laughs> So, but anyway, I just wanted to make the basic point that there are two things going on. What God gives is one thing. What we receive is another thing. And the church needs to give what God gives through baptism and even as early as possible through, through at, uh, the age, you know, infancy. But also we can help to stir that receptivity of people in a lot of different ways. And again, that's kind of the challenge for us. For those people who are in the church and are baptizing their babies, can we provide a catechesis like the catechesis of the Good Shepherd, or can we just extend that to every parish in a way that we can actually foster faith in children who have been baptized? That's one passageway to helping people have a real living faith and an, and an encounter with Jesus Christ. Uh, or another question is for people who haven't had that or have wandered along just kind of soaking in the culture of the world, which certainly in the Western world, it's very non-Christian, even anti-Christian now. We just don't have a Christian culture really anymore in, in the Western world. How do we help people move from that culture to a countercultural position that would lead to an encounter with Christ? to believe that he is really present and he knows and loves them and to receive the gift ultimately given in baptism, but to actually receive that gift and let it play a role in their lives. Okay. So let's start because I've heard that expression. 
um, create the counterculture probably since I was in eighth grade. In some format or another, using those terms in, in its capacity. But the part that kind of really doesn't come up all that much is what are we trying to get to? They just say, be different than this anti-Christian, um, so don't do this. Well, one of the things I found throughout most of life is there's a lot more options than two. So if you're putting everything in a binary system where you could do this option or option two and you can't do option one, okay, go do option two. Real life doesn't work like that. There's virtually an infinite amount of options. So we took out option one that was bad, but there's, I don't know. 20 billion neutral options, you know, another 20 billion that are kind of good, but not really, and then so on and so forth. So what I wanted to, to use here was what is the target? What should, what direction is we going for? Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to hit the perfect shot and get right there. Sometimes we're going to end up in the sand trap off the tee and we're going to need to do some saving shots. You know, but sometimes we're going to be right in the middle of the fairway looking right where we should be. But where is the flagpole that we need to to get this counter counterculture to? Well, culture is kind of the second step. Uh, the first step is, again, leading individuals to a living faith, leading them to an encounter with Christ, which, again, is not... I can't force that on anyone. Mm -hmm. I mean, so the best I can do, which is what the early church did, you know, I can witness. I can share my faith. I can live my faith authentically. I can invite people into experiences of prayer. I have some priest friends who are very avid um, supporters of healing ministry. Uh, two priest friends who have miraculously healed a fair number of people. That has a way of getting people's attention. Mm -hmm. When you miraculously, uh, somebody I know had his knee miraculously healed by a priest friend of mine who prayed over him. Um, another priest friend of mine, you know, healed a woman's back that had been suffering for 17 years, was crippled and bent over, prayed over her, and she's walking just fine now. Uh, and lots of that. So that's a way to get people's attention and to give them a chance to encounter the living power of God. He's real and living. He's not just an idea. It's not just a, another cultural construct. So, so again, we have to keep our focus on that. How do we foster that personal encounter with Jesus Christ? So that's, uh, that's really where we focus our attention. But then the question is, how do we create an atmosphere how do we create a, a way of relating with each other? How do we create a set of values that lead to a set of behaviors? How do we create images and symbols and vocabulary, uh, a way of witnessing, a way of living that embodies the gospel enough that creates an atmosphere that's filled with God so that when people come into encounter with us who are living in that kind of counterculture, Christian culture, that it naturally brings them into an encounter with Jesus Christ, that they say these people live differently. I just One example comes to my mind from the early church. He was a Roman soldier, uh, a pagan. 
he was injured and left behind by his troop, he was found by a group of Christians who didn't know him, had no reason to take care of him, but they had a, a culture of charity, which was different than the Roman culture. They took him in. They cared for him. They didn't ask anything from him, and they didn't hold him to anything. They just did it because they were Christians. And that encounter with Christian charity changed his life. And he ended up forming communal monasticism. He's the founder of communal monasticism, St. Pacomius, because he felt that it was essential to the gospel that we witness charity, see how they love each other, and they will know that we are Christians by our love. You know, there's a simple truth to that. So anyway, a Christian culture is one that reinforces those who believe because I can't, I can't live the way that the world lives. I can't live in a, a, a way that is... Uh, Use, misuses sexuality, that belittles people, that cuts corners, that's focused on materialism, that has a kind of cutthroat, might-makes-right mentality, that's climbing to get to the top, that's willing to compromise values in order to, to foster personal success, that's uh, willing to, to marry and, and divorce in a way that, that would treat you know, women like like objects to be used and discarded. That's willing to uh, throw away children. I can't live that way. You know, mm -hmm. I, I as a, as a believer, I can't live that way. So, I naturally form a culture among those who will listen to me and and live in the space that I live in. Uh, I form a culture that is countercultural. That's that's Christian in its values and its principles, and. Um, so I do that to reinforce and support myself and those who are with me uh, you know, in the monastery, in the seminary, my spiritual directees, whatever. Uh, and then I also create a culture so that I can invite other people into it and they can encounter Christ. So it's both supporting Christians and it's also evangelizing non-Christians. That's what a culture does. Mm -hmm. And the culture of the monastery, for example, where we pray the liturgy of the hours, where we uh, live in a certain way, dress in a certain way, talk in a certain way, the way that we receive guests, the way that we treat people, the way that we're non-discriminating, um, the way that we eat our meals the, the, with prayer and with uh, a level of decorum, the way that we uh, go about our business and not trying to exploit people and cut corners and cheat on our taxes, you know, the way that we the way that we do all of these things is a Christian witness. And so somebody who comes, and I love to invite people to the monastery, when they experience that, they say, Well, there's something different here. The way look at the way that they love one another, you know, and, and wow, I just feel a peace when I'm here. There's something different about living the schedule of prayer. There's so that culture has has multiple values in in reinforcing us in our faith and also as a tool of evangelization. Yeah, and it's something that you, at St. Vincent you can certainly feel it. Um, it almost as if it encompasses the land in a certain regard. There's just something about it out there. Um, so on that note, what we what the plan of today was was to start with what is the mission and what is the goal, and we're going to take. The next couple of podcasts moving forward, diving into some of the specifics from it. So 
We thank you for listening. We ask you to continue to help us grow by give us the reviews that you have been on whichever subscription site you have. Obviously, the more five stars we have, the more searches we appear in and the more we grow that way. You know, please tell someone that you know around you about us. Um, if you follow us on Twitter, send a link to one of your friends. Probably the easiest way to do it. And we thank you all for listening. We'll be with you next week.